Welcome to Responding to Life, a podcast hosted by me, Josephine Atlery. Do you ever feel like you could use some guidance when life throws you a curveball? By listening to the narratives in this podcast, you will learn from other people's experiences and responses to challenging situations so you can fast track the learning curve to get ahead in your own life. Welcome to Responding to Life, Talking Health, Fertility, and Parenthood. On today's fertility episode, I am joined by Monica Beavis. Monica is a mindset and holistic fertility coach, speaker, writer of the book, The IVF Planner, and founder of The IVF Journey, an online community for women and couples to find support, hope, and connection with other individuals contemplating or experiencing in vitro fertilization. Monica is a certified fertility coach from the Wholesome Fertility Program and specializes in mindset and emotional support for individuals and couples trying to conceive via ART, IVF, or IUI, as well as emotional support in pregnancy and infant loss. Monica was a regular contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and has been a guest in multiple fertility podcasts where she talks about her own journey in planning for and managing IVF treatments as well as on support on TTC Naturally. Her book, The IVF Planner, is a journal and guide for women undergoing fertility treatment and has another book forthcoming about her life-changing experience with IVF treatment and her stillbirth and loss experience at 39 weeks of her baby daughter, Isabel, as well as her following miscarriage at seven weeks after trying IVF again. Monica lives in New York with her husband and her two children. I'm so excited to speak with her and have her share her story. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Monica. I'm so excited to finally speak with you as we've interacted so much via the TTC community on Instagram, but we haven't actually spoken or met with one another. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Josephine, for uh, actually having me. It's just an honor because, as you say, we interact online in Instagram. But this is the first time that we really talk, and it's really um, an honor for me to be in your podcast. Thank you. So then I, let's get started. I'm excited to have a conversation with you. And I think the best way for us to begin is to start with your own story, with your own journey via IVF to become a mom. Yes, well, it's um, it's quite a, a story because you know I'm coming actually from a family in Colombia, uh, South America, uh, especially from my mom's side. Very fertile. They actually were eighteen kids, nine boys, nine girls, from the same dad and mom. And uh, you know, all my cousins and my aunts, they were very fertile. They used to get pregnant, like we say there in South America, with the blow of a kiss. So I have about 200 and something cousins. So when I uh, got married with my husband in uh, 2003, um, you know, I thought that I could be a mom that easy, like everybody else. So I kind of took it for granted. But it didn't work. And uh, we realized that I was the one that had the fertility issue because my husband had a, a daughter from a previous relationship. So we were trying for a year, like most people do, and, uh, you know, after maybe about eight months, I went to my gynecologist and asked him that, 
I think I have a problem because I'm not getting pregnant. And he said, you know, try another four months, complete the year that most couples do. And then if it doesn't work, come back. We did that. And after a year, I came back. He put me on plummies. And then after a few months, it didn't work. So we went through do all our tests and blood tests and all these tests came very okay. We really didn't have any kind of issue until, you know, we went into more physical and deep tests. And they found out through an insterosalpingogram, I think that's the name, that my both fallopian tubes uh, were blocked from scar tissue. So we kind of extend uh, all what we were doing to try to find a way to do it naturally. The, we did two laparoscopies, but my tubes weren't open. So eventually we said, you know, the only choice that we have is in vitro. Uh, I did my first in vitro. Then, I, you know, after that, it was a little impactful for me because we entered into a path that we didn't know nothing. Um, so we went to an RE that my gynecologist recommend to us. It was very kind, very nice. Uh, but, you know, we we didn't have that knowledge. Uh, they barely explained us. In that time, there was no community of support like there is today. So we entered, like, uh, in an unknown path. However, uh, the doctor, as I tell you, he was very kind. We did the first cycle, and it was successful. It's uh, now my 15-year-old daughter, Elia. So we said, wow, it's, it's easy. So it's going to happen again. However, in that time, nobody explained us that we could uh, have the chance to freeze eggs or to freeze embryos. So we didn't know. The clinic didn't told us. And we just, you know, have the baby and said, together with my husband, in another two, three years, we're going to try again. And it's going to be that easy, like this first one. And we did that. But this is where really my journey starts. Because we went back to the same doctor and we did a second cycle. But um, the nurse in that time in the clinic, he has only like one or two people working in the clinic. They um, did a mistake switching the charts with another uh, another patient. And the dose that was um, put on me uh, of the medicine was the wrong one. So I got OHSS uh, and my ovaries became balloony. So they had to cancel the, the, the cycle due to that reason. And it was really frustrating. Uh, he took responsibility for that, and uh, he said that he's going to give us the next cycle. But, of course, you know how it is. I needed to wait at least three months for my body to clean from all the medicine and all the drugs that are stimulants. We jump into the third cycle in about four months later, and um, I got pregnant. Uh, I was 37 years old, and uh, everything was going okay. But uh, 39 weeks, I had Isabel was a stillbirth because I developed some issue with my, my blood. So a blood clot in the umbilical cord, you know, basically uh-huh, hit my baby. So I had to go and deliver at 39 weeks, my daughter. And that was very devastating. I was lost emotionally, you know, wrecking my husband too. And... My coping system in that time was like, I need to jump into another IVF to fill that hole, that pain, to replace that baby. You know, that's, I will say, a survival reaction. So I started to kind of drill my husband about that. And he was against because he was somehow more rational and was seeing that I need to grieve and heal first. And then we go there. But 
I was very stubborn. Um, my RE, our RE, recommend another doctor. We went through him. He told me exactly the same, that he thought that it was too fast, that I need to heal. But I was totally blind, totally, you know, deaf. I didn't listen. So we jumped into another IVF. And I got pregnant, but unfortunately, at seven weeks, I miscarried. So from this time, you know, like a pain and another, another pain, everything kind of came down, you know, like all, all like when they say when it rains, it pours or something like that. <laughs> I'm sorry, my accent. Uh, my, you know, my emotional state was terrible. My marriage started to crumble. We almost got divorced with my husband. Uh, it was a very terrible time. And um, eventually we kind of came back and talked and said, you know, we need to dedicate time for ourselves, take a break, see if we can fix this relationship. We have already a daughter. And we took a year. And after a year, we decided that we're going to do our last try, the fifth cycle. And whatever is going to happen, we're going to accept it with love and it's going to come the way it is. So we did our last cycle. I got pregnant. It's now my seven-year-old daughter, Maya. And I was on blood thinners. And this is, you know, my story, basically. Uh, you know, it's such a an amazing story, Monica. Thank you so much for opening up and and sharing. I know even as the years pass, it's it's still a wound that, is so raw. And uh, so I appreciate you sharing the stories of your losses and also just the emotional toll that it took upon you. It takes so much courage to be able to open up about all of that. And, you know, it's, it's devastating to have to endure just this whole process, but to go through the, the first loss with your your daughter at 39 weeks, Isabel. And then and then again right afterwards to to miscarry. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm curious to hear about how you found that strength to just the strength and the courage to try again after you know that that's the stillbirth. Like how do you I know you said it sounded almost like you were going on autopilot where you just were very single focused on achieving this goal. But I, I wonder if there were any other components to that because of, um, you know, I'm just drawing from my own experience of how I felt when I was going through the process of, of IVF, you just become so focused, hyper-focused on it. And Mm -hmm. it seems like there's nothing else that, that matters, nothing else that you want, you just need to achieve this goal, this goal of becoming a mother, of having the child and and that nothing else matters. And so I'm just, I'd love to hear what that process looked like for you. Yes, absolutely. You definitely say it right, Josephine, is something that we are, we are, I think we make a mistake. Most of women that we go through IVF, even if we are trying to conceive naturally, we focus so much on that that we forget about the rest of the world and our life around. And when we focus on something so strong, we put a stress on ourselves. And that stress basically blocks the ultimate goal. How I found courage? Well, I'm going to tell you, um, 
the biggest courage I had was, of course, my, my mom was with us. She's still with us. And uh, our um, community, we we are Jewish. And uh, our synagogue and our rabbi, uh, basically, they gathered all the community. And they were bringing us, like, almost every day food. I will receive people every day, you know, with hugs, with, uh, you know, the most beautiful and loving gestures. And they were very aware of my pain. And somehow when they will come and, and talk to me and tell, tell me, you know, I'm very sorry for your loss, they will find a way to, uh, to help me to shift my mind and not be stuck on that. It, it was really incredible. So there was moments, for example, after a week of, of having the stillbirth, that I still have some people coming and telling me how sorry they were from what I went through, but then starting conversations of whatever subject. And then I will find myself kind of laughing or, 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 you know, having a moment. And then, like you said, and then I go back to that uh, moment and I say, why, why I am laughing? I just lost a baby. Why I need to do this? And, through this process, I start to realize that all of that questions and all of this pain is part of this grieving process. And honestly, I tell you, without the support of our community, of our synagogue, of my rabbi, his wife, and all these people, I probably wouldn't be able to, to get a little bit out of that and to start to heal. Because I am very open to and saying, Josephine, that a pain like this, it's, it's terrible. It has no name. You know, I always say when we lost our parents, this, you know, we are called orphans, right? When we lost our husband or wife, he's widow or widower. So when, but when, when we lose a, a baby, a child, that has no name. So without that support... I think I wouldn't be able to do it because I'm not going to be, I'm, I'm going to be very honest with you. I thought about, you know, about taking my life. It's, I'm not going to lie. It's a very, very terrible pain. It's, it's not easy. And I thought, and I went through looking to possible ways, but it's funny to say now, now I can say it's funny, but I think that what stopped me was, of course, the support that I received, but also the fact that I am very scared from physical pain. A little cut, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like, so I was trying to find ways that, okay, let me see how I can do that. It's not painful and it's not going to, you know, or I'm not going to be in the middle. And whatever find, whatever way I could find, it was like, forget it. So something there, you know, that higher power, that God, call it whatever, somehow always put something to stop me. So all together was basically what helped me to be where I am now and heal. The scar is there, but yes, we heal. Absolutely. We do heal. And the, the support you had should, you know, it's something worth definitely talking about and, and its importance. And when you get to that, to those low points, and you just don't have the energy and the, the strength to move on. It's amazing how uh, leaning on someone else can be so powerful and helpful. And that's, I think, the beauty of the, the online community 
that has come about, which, you know, as you mentioned, and it's something that I often mention, I wish I had back when I was undergoing my own journey, it would have been such a tremendous help. But I'm, I'm glad, Monica, that you had, you know, your own community that was able to help you get out of that darkness. And I love that comparison, not love it, and because it has to have a comparison, but the way that you're able to put it to words that there is no word for a mother who is grieving, who has lost a child. That's, you know, that struck me. Mm -hmm. That just, you know, that just struck me. And so, you know, I'm, I'm curious, you had a daughter and, and then you experienced, you know, your stillbirth and then a miscarriage. And I don't believe I've spoken to anyone on the show. Um, at least recently, who has explained to us what it feels like to go and experience these losses with a child in their home already. You know, from my own experience, when I had my second trimester loss of twins, I didn't have a child yet. And I can imagine it being such a, a vastly different experience. So I'd love for you to touch upon what that was like. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, I'll tell you, uh, Leah was actually uh, five years old when this happened. And, you know, the kids are very aware. Our kids today born with such a, an intelligence that is, you know, beyond a description. Uh, so, of course, she saw, you know, mommy belly's growing and she used to be spoiling me. And, um, you know, when, when Isabel used to move, she used to be like, if she was there feeling it. So when uh, when our baby died, one of the things that we did was, um, and I mentioned this because it's the way, you know, we work. My husband is Israeli. I am Colombian. Uh, so we, as I mentioned to you, we are Jewish. But we are, uh, we are um, how could I say that, conservative, not, not, not orthodox religious. However, there is certain values, certain things that we keep so when the baby died, we he called he called the rabbi and he asked him uh, number one if we should do like um, necropsy and he said no because she was not thirty days uh, alive. Thirty days a baby needs to be thirty days alive. And then the other thing he asked him is like we need help to speak with Elia. Elia is my daughter. How are we gonna tell her because she's you know waiting home to 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 mommy with a little baby in, in the little, you know, chair. So what, how are we going to do it? So he actually came with us the day that I went from the hospital. It was only one day. And I couldn't, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. He was telling me in the car how to approach, and I couldn't. I told him, I, I can't. There is no way that I'm going to tell my daughter. I don't know how to tell her. And maybe I'm going to come and tell her, you know what, Ali, I'm sorry, but your your sister died. And I don't think that's the way to tell a five-year-old. So I basically told my husband and the rabbi that they need to explain her. We came home, and uh, I was devastated. I went upstairs. I didn't want to talk with nobody, not even with Elia. It's it's something that, um, I guess, it's, like I said in the beginning, it's a, a defense mechanism to protect yourself to even protect your your loved ones from that pain you don't want them to feel that pain and my husband sit with her on the rabbi and they were 
clearly with no around, but with love, they explained her that, you know, uh, mommy had some issue in her body and unfortunately that uh, affected the baby and she died. And of course, to my stepdaughter too, you know, my stepdaughter didn't live with us, but she was so excited to do that. And she was nine years old. And believe it or not, Josephine, um, Elia, which was five, she took that, she cried, but she kind of understood or took it differently. On the other hand, Daniela, my stepdaughter, she was devastated. Like, she was devastated. She cried like there was no tomorrow. I didn't, my husband said that he couldn't, find a way to calm her down for like about an hour, hour and a half after he spoke with her. But the only way to do that kind of thing definitely is the truth. We need just to find the best way to tell them that truth. I can't even imagine having to have that conversation uh, with a child. So it's very difficult. I, like I told you, I, I, I run away from that. I run away from that. I, I was not capable. So I basically, in other words, I threw that to my husband and the rabbi. And and then I remember that after they told Elia, she went upstairs and she hugged me. It was amazing. She said that she understand that uh, my pain, but to remember that I have her and that she knows that Hashem, which is God for us, is going to give us another baby. And we are going to be passing this time she's super mature you have no idea i was like she's full of love I, if i could say what is the conception of love is this girl still until today i'm very blessed i can't complain uh that's amazing she sounds so wise for such a little at the time for being so little and such comforting words to to be able to share with you that's so beautiful monica um, and, you know, and speaking of asking your husband to sort of step in when you didn't have the strength to do it, you mentioned in your story that you had a difficult time with your marriage. And, you know, I hear this very often uh, with people who share their stories with me about in their infertility journey, that oftentimes their marriages can get very strained because, as in with life, you know, you start to diverge in paths, you know, your what you want in life starts to change based on experiences. And we all sort of respond to the challenges in life in different ways and that we may start off the same way, but we may end up in different areas. So I'm, I'd love to hear just how you went about repairing your marriage under this cloud of of this infertility journey that you're experiencing? Yes, well, definitely. I, I, like you said, I think that uh, when we are going through through a very specific fertility journey, you know, especially when we have to go through ART and all the, the um, hardship of IVF and not being able to do it naturally, it brings a lot of pressure in, um, in a marriage. And uh, I, I think I found out why and it's because we are two different worlds. Uh, men are more rational, which I think that that eventually through the years, when I when I look back, I see that that was big help in my recovery too. And women, we are more emotional. So, and we always expect on the other side too, my, my be expecting, we always expect that 
people outside from our comfort zone or outside from what we feel react the same way as we are. And, and, and if they don't, then we, we think that they are not feeling or they have no feelings or they are not in pain. And the biggest thing that kind of explode um, our problems, because, you know, there is no, no relationship that is perfect. You have little issues here, little issues there, big, small and sometimes you pile up, they accumulate, you forget, you forget them. And then when something big happens, everything comes, you know, like they say that uh, it hits the fan and it splashes everybody. So mm-hmm. what happened, really, so what happened is that when uh, Isabel died, that was really what it started to put us down in our relationship because I was emotional. I was crying every night. I I will... You know, just put myself so down because I was so empty that I, like you say, I, I didn't have energy even to fight anymore with the pain, and I just wanted to disappear. Just close my eyes, and um, it's gone. Or sometimes I we will go to sleep, you know, in the nights, and I was praying that it was a nightmare, and I'm gonna wake up the next day, and everything is gonna be different. So that was my way of coping, and then my husband. Yes, the day that we were in the hospital and the baby born and they brought her to us and I wanted to see her and hug her, I saw him, I started to see there, he was like, please give it to the nurses. I don't want to see. And I'm like, but I don't want to see. You know, here we start. And and then that cries that I had, and I see that the first thing he did after we came back and after, you know, that week of grieving with the people and the community, it's like he went to work right away. Josephine, he went to work like from morning to evening, barely see him. I didn't see him crying. He was not talking about it. Mm. My God, I was so upset. I'm like, is this guy really? Are you kidding me? He, is he feeling it? Is he in pain? And I started to be very aggressive and, you know, fighting with him. Are you, you, you are insensitive. You don't feel, you don't care. I start to judge him from my own pain. And pointing fingers, so start you know to to crack the marriage, and then I'm putting pressure on him to let's go and do another IBF because a baby, you know, we're gonna have the baby, and the miscarriage it like wrecked all of them to the point that we both have lawyers. I I I just judge him that like this insensitive guy that has no feelings, that has no heart, no compassion, no kindness, no nothing, and then. I, I was the only one like carrying with us with that pain. And when this happened, we learned that we need to communicate. So we kind of sit together. And it's funny, again, our rabbi was there and he sit with us and he said to him, Can you please tell her that you are feeling something? And then he started to open up and say that, you know, a few times he came kind of drunk. And my husband is not a drinker, and he came a few times drunk and not talking. And he started to tell me one of the times that he came drunk, he went to a restaurant where close to his business where they know him. And he was so drunk, he started to cry with them. He was not crying with me. And he said he was not crying with me because he felt that if he would come and cry with me, it was dragging me more because I'm, I, I have enough cry. I'm crying so bad. So he needed to be the strong one to, you know, like to show me that he's strong and he needs to. To give me that, and I'm like, so you need to open the mouth and talk. 
and we start to discover that there was a lot of things that we didn't communicate. I was blaming him. He was quiet. And there was, there was a, a shortage in the communication. But that's the good thing about it. Because then we realized that it was not that we stopped to love each other or that we hate each other or something, but that we didn't communicate. And then, you know, it's like I think about it and I say, wow, all this pain on my Isabel, the miscarriage, what is the good of it? So it brought us together and we decide that time, okay, we're going to work one year on us, let's see, healing. And then if I feel to cry, I'm going to cry with you. And he said the same. And then he, I start to, to see that men are emotional too. They are just, you know, like, they are just sometimes so strange that they want to be so tough. But they are glass castles. That's what I saw. That is so moving, Monica. Um, you're, you know, you're, you really hit all so many points and uh, what you you described about the process that you and your husband went through. You know, we're all different beings, and we approach we approach the challenges in different ways. But at the same time, we also feel this obligation to our partner to support them, and that for us looks different in what our expectations are. And I think, you know, you just put it so beautifully about how you're able to, to sort of bridge that gap between the two of you. I'm so happy that you're able to work it out because the strains that you feel from something, just to let alone the IVF, the infertility journey and the difficulties that people have to endure through all of that. But then when you add loss and upon loss, to that, it has a whole other dimension, um, and and then you're you're dealing with so many different types of trauma happening, and people respond to them in different ways. So, you know, long story short, I'm just so happy that you are able to to work through that together because that is really a testament to both of your individually your strengths and and your courage and and the love and the bond that you have in your relationship. Absolutely. One thing I can tell you, I, I'm going to be 18 years married with my husband and I love him to death and I am still in love with him like the first time. And I feel exactly the same from him to me. It's beautiful. So beautiful. Um, you know, I'm, another thing that there's just so many things to, to talk with you about, Monica. The mm -hmm. other thing is when you finally did go through that fifth cycle of IVF, how did that pregnancy feel for you in terms of, you know, as you're going through it after experiencing a stillbirth, did you find that you were able to let go of that past experience and enjoy it? Because for me, after going through a second trimester loss, like I, I hated every minute of my eventual pregnancy. It was many years later, but I just felt like I was trapped and living in this nightmare and just worried that it would end. And I didn't enjoy a second of it. And I felt really guilty and I felt really bitter about it throughout and in and, and retrospect. And as I think about it, like I don't, I try not to live in regret. I like, try like to be as positive as I can and take lessons learned. But, you know, in thinking back on that time, for me, I really do regret that I didn't 
take that opportunity to really enjoy finally being pregnant because it was something that I had been hoping for. And, and then to turn it into this experience that I just didn't enjoy just for me was a regret. So I'm curious to hear what that fifth IVF journey, that final pregnancy of your second daughter was like for you. Yes, Josephine, listen, all of the feelings that you describe in your pregnancy after your loss of the twins is incredible. I felt that in the pregnancy of my Isabel. And I can understand the guilt feeling that you can feel or regret because when I lost her, when the stillbirth happened, I was like putting guilt on myself. I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't enjoy the pregnancy or I was not connected with that or all of that. And then that kind of feelings work totally the opposite on my pregnancy with Maya, which is my fifth cycle. So this is actually, this fifth cycle, this pregnancy is what started to inspire me to to work in more, being, being calm, kind of learn how to find balance, not perfection, but balance in accepting that, you know, I'm not going through a difficult, I'm not going through an easy time because IVF is not easy. Uh, I know I've been aware of what I am going to feel, the thoughts, the ups and downs, the fears, the what if, the going to pee in the bathroom and check every time, you know, my underwear that if I'm bleeding, all of that, being more aware. And uh, because of the loss of Isabel, I was very upset on God. And I learned that it's okay that we can be upset on God too, because you asked, where is God? Why this happened to me? I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. I didn't do nothing bad to no one. And then it took the other switch. So I learned and I said, you know what? I'm, maybe I was far from God. I'm going to start to pray more. And I bought my uh, pregnancy book and all of that. But, <laughs> but there is always a but. When Maya, at uh, around 22 weeks, I start to feel uh, the baby. I didn't know it was a girl because I didn't know. I didn't want to know what she was. My husband wanted to know. So when we went to the sonogram, I told him, if you want to know, they can tell him, don't tell me. So they told him and they didn't tell me. And I'm like, okay with that. But when she started to move, Josephine, that, it was a little bit of a nightmare because I learned so perfectly to count her movements and to see at what times exactly she will move, even when I was sleeping. She used to move, I will never forget, she used to move every time when I was sleeping between 2.15 to 2.30 in the morning. If this baby will not move in that range of time, I will wake up like a crazy woman, wake up my husband, almost giving him a heart attack, telling him to bring me orange juice or chocolates because I needed to make sure that the baby will move. So I, during that pregnancy, I never let her sleep. And she's a hyper like crazy. She's a little earthquake. And <laughs> That is my fault. But that, you know, during that time when she started to move, it was a little nightmare. But still, I kind of tried to find balance. So whatever regrets we feel when we have losses, they are absolutely okay. And whatever regrets we feel when we get pregnant again and we have had a loss, it's totally okay. Because, you know, there is nothing um, bad in life or difficult or sad that will not bring you joy. It, why? Because that's life. Life is balanced. You know, like black and white. I feel like that. Why there is love? Because there is hate. 
So somehow we need to learn to switch it. Uh, you know, why there is pain? Because there is happiness. You need to know both. So what brought me all this, this sadness of Isabel and my miscarriage took me to a place that I needed to learn balance. And you know what helped me to heal completely? And I can tell you that completely heal the loss of Isabel. I truly believe, and this is my belief, this is my feeling, that spirit babies, our kids, choose us as a parent. We choose our parents, actually. So I am so sure that the soul of my Isabel is the same soul in, in my Maya with different vehicles. Maya is, you know, of course, she's a unique person, but it's the same soul. It came back to me. That little soul. So when I lost her, when it was still there, it was not the time to come. So when when she born, when she was born, my husband was the one, the first one that saw her, because um, they wanted also to make sure that uh, she born good and she don't have breathing problems and all of that. Uh, and then when he brought her to me and put her on my chest, that moment I felt. We felt that I was forgiven because like you said, that guilty feelings of, you know, when you lose a baby, I was so, I was feeling so guilty that I did something wrong, that it was my fault that I lost Isabel, that that was one of the things that it was still there on me, even after, uh, you know, after the pregnancy and all of that, uh, during the pregnancy of Maya. When I put her, when he put her on my arms, I felt relief. I felt that that guilty feeling was gone. Totally gone. That's such a beautiful it's such a beautiful story. And you know, I thank you for being honest about how you felt during the pregnancy. You know, we often don't talk about it enough so that people think that, you know, once you finally become pregnant after going through infertility treatments and even after loss, that it solves the problem. But we all know that it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't solve it, that there's a lot of work that needs to be done in order to do so. And so your honesty about what that was like for you really contributes to that openness and that conversation and that honesty that helps other people really feel less alone. So thank you, Monica, for, you know, opening up about that. And that's so beautiful about how her soul came into, um, into your child's, you know, Isabel's soul came into your child's life. I, I think that's just so touching and fitting. And, you know, you shared already with us some of the lessons that you learned. Um, I'd like to hear then, you know, you've transitioned over into a new chapter into your life where you now help other people who on their are their own path to parenthood as a certified fertility coach. So I'd love for you to share with us just how uh, you help people now in their journey and in what capacities you're able to do that. Yes, of course, Josephine. So we are very similar in our approach uh, because of, you know, our own journeys. I truly uh, believe because of my own experience too that um, the emotional part of our journey is something that is a very big missing piece uh, between us as patient and the clinic and, and, and that's what I tell you you know like I I wish I would have the support that we find today 
through people like you, like me, like other beautiful women and men also in the community. Because, yeah, the clinics you go, they help you with all the medical part and physical, but they are never kind of paying attention on how the emotional impact of this process can affect us, how we can learn to create a little bit balance in, in walking this path. So I am basically that. I, I think that I am that missing piece in between the patient and the clinic. And today I can see that a lot of clinics offer that. So my approach is very mindset. And mindset is not, I'm going to make that very clear because these kind of things sometimes trigger people in our community. Mindset is not toxic positivity. I, I You know, one of the things that I am always try to explain anyone about that is Mindset is allowing yourself to feel your feelings, no matter if they are positive or negative. Because walking through a journey like the one that we both walk or are walking is not easy. And uh, a lot of, and I understand why a lot of people can get triggered because you know it's like oh think positive, you know train your consciousness. Yes, it's true. We can train our consciousness and subconsciousness into positive thoughts, and what we throw to the universe is what is come back to us. But at the same time, to get there, we need to also be aware and allow our feelings of sadness, crying, uh, grunting, cursing, uh, pain to be felt. Why? Because by feeling them, by, uh, by, by recognizing and be aware that they are there, that this is not easy, that I am walking a very difficult path, we are cleaning out. We are basically letting go that feelings opening a space for new ones and then have this clarity in our mind of, okay, let me see what I can do next. Like I told you two minutes ago, but it's because there is good. And when we know that there is one and that there is another one, we create balance. So we need to be aware, okay, I'm entering IBF. Now that I know all of there's so many years, so I know what is IBF. It's cheating, you know, it's, uh, wow, my gosh, I wish to just go and get pregnant naturally, but I'm entering this this path. What am I going to do? Okay, so let's check. It's difficult, financially draining. Financially is another thing that is very impactful. It's this and that, and I'm going to feel anxious. I'm going to be I feel fear. I'm going to feel sad. I'm going to cry. I'm going to think that my period came. All of that is going to come. Okay, perfect. So this is it. How I can work in a way that I'm not going to go crazy with this because my only focus is baby. So let me see what I can do. So there is meditations, there is community. Us, we are here to support you. Look for someone that is walking or have walked the same path so they know what you are feeling in your shoes. Talk, you know, if you are not open or you don't want to be open with a community, but you find someone that you can feel connection. So let's see, this is my friend or this is the person that I can talk and be open you know, talk about it. Feel your feelings. You want to cry? You know, go cry. You want to run, run. You want to curse, curse. And, and allow that to happen. And very important, very important. Yes, the ultimate goal is baby. But don't make the mistake that we did, that I did, that we are so focused on it, that that's the only thing that basically is in the world. Because that brings us more stress. And it's somehow blocking that goal. So this is basically my approach. I love that. And, you know, as you were 
you're right. We are very much on the on the same page in terms of our approach. And I had a big smile on my face when you brought up the term toxic positivity because it has been weighing on my mind for so long such that uh, I am actually going to be speaking to Kristen of the Fertility Tribe on Instagram mm-hmm. next week doing a live talking about it because it's the term is just being thrown around. It's made its way into the infertility community and I understand it and I understand where people are coming from, but you're, everything you said is exactly my feelings on it in that, you know, it's, it's not that we're not asking you to feel everything that you're going through. That's not what our message of mindset and positivity is about. It's asking you to first take that step of feeling the full expression of what you're going through because you can't, you know, move on in, in your healing process and in your journey, if you don't acknowledge all of those things and, and rather than just, just like bearing it all within. And so I think that's where it's helpful to have someone such as yourself, Monica, who is a coach to help guide people on that journey of being able to face those really powerful and they're scary emotions. You know, it is easier to sometimes just allow it to fade into the background or just shove it inside rather than addressing it and confronting it. Uh, And so having someone like yourself nowadays to be able to sort of guide someone as they're going through this process is just so immensely helpful. I wish I had a fertility coach myself as I was going through the process and had all these tools like the meditation that I'm teaching and the mindfulness and all of these things would have been so amazing back then. And then speaking of tools, you do also have the a book called The IVF Planner and a Fertility Coloring Book. So I'd love for you to just quickly share with us what these tools are and how they can uh, offer help to people who are trying to conceive. Yes, of course. So the IVF Planner, it, uh, it's basically, you know, like a book that has some, uh, you know, you know, it's, it's written with the conception of what IVF is, how you can find your RE, the best clinic, uh, and some instructions, of course, my story too. But it's more of that kind of charts that we have, you know. I used to have little papers all the time, uh, taking the numbers of, you know, my blood test, the beta test during the, after the two-week wait. And it was so crazy, Josephine, that I was so messy. And then eventually they get lost and, and, and it put more stress. So I realized that if we have some kind of a, a journal of our journey, it helps us a lot more. The IVF planner has all of that, the medical charts, uh, places where you can put your appointments, your blood test results, your beta tests after the two-week wait. There is a chapter, the two-week wait actually is a chapter that I think that is good because you know, during this time, we are going more crazy than ever. Is that waiting time. So I found out that creativity and our therapy during that time helped me a lot, especially in my last cycle. So, you know, to keep my mind a little calm and handle a little bit better that craziness and nerviousness that come with that. Uh, and then from that little mandalas that I put in that chapter, I create another book that is going to launch hopefully in the middle of January that calls Ranting Doodles. 
is a fertility coloring book. And why I put it ranting doodles, because, you know, we are always ranting about our crazy IVF. Today, I don't feel good. I went to pee and I was bleeding. So it's all, uh, it's, it's a cute book, cartoony kind of style in which people can color eggs and sperms and frozen eggs. And, and there is even some cartoony thing. And actually, the illustrator of that book is uh, one of our friends in the community, Sheila Alexander. And it's beautiful. And why they are tools? Because one is your journal for your medical part and your, you know, your daily uh, tests when you go to your clinic. And the other is a part of the mindset of being, allowing yourself to be creative. And, and you know that creativity is something that help any kind of person in any kind of issue when you know when there is a saying that says when you don't know what to do uh, do art and, and mm. it's it's so true yes. when you are like sitting in a place and suddenly your mind doesn't find anything to do do art even if you are not an artist because it helps a lot with that so this is my Two books, and I start. Uh, well, I'm in, I'm in a little bit of between the middle of uh, the book about my stillbirth too, because I think that miscarriage and loss and stillbirth is something that a lot of women are going through, Josephine, and they don't talk about it, and they are just so um, like in jail in their own jail because they want and they don't know how to do it. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for these wonderful tools tools. It's so great to be able to have just more resources to be able to help you along your journey and to help you feel less alone. And, you know, speaking of that whole idea of mindset, I always love to end my podcast interviews by asking my guests to share their gratitude for today. So I'd love to hear yours, Monica. Okay. So I, I, for that gratitude, I have something that I found a while ago and it, it hit me because it kind of identified with the, the pain that I went through and also the healing. And it says, time does not always heal all wounds, but discovering the truth has a funny way of shaping the scars. And it's, it's so true, you know, yeah, they say time heals, but sometimes time takes forever. And then when we learn about our our journey and we start to see why it happens and the truth of what happens in that journey help us to check that scars that they are still not healed. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, uh, that quote. It's, it's so fitting. And in the spirit of giving and receiving, I'd love for you to share with the audience how they can connect with you and work with you. Okay, my darling. So usually I'm very active in Instagram, as you know. That's where we bet each other. Uh, my uh, handle is at Monica Vivas. Uh, people also can connect with me in my website, www.monicavivas.com. And also I have a Facebook group that's called the IBF Journey. And they can, you know, find me there. I bring a lot of speakers too that can, you know, offer their their own approach because sometimes people don't get connect directly with you. So I always like to refer and collaborate with others. And uh, I also have a special discount for your audience for the fertility bracelet uh, that uh, I offer in my website too. And also the book. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much, Monica. It's been such a pleasure to finally speak with you. And I appreciate greatly the, um, the stories and the advice that you shared with us today. No, thank you so much, Josephine. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode with Monica. I hope you found her story and her wonderful advice as helpful as I did. For more insight and information on how to connect with Monica, be sure to visit her website, monicabevis.com, and her Instagram. Be sure to check out her fertility journey on her site as well, as she offers a discount that will be listed in the episode summary. To listen to past episodes of Responding to Life, be sure to hop onto my website, jayatlurie.com, and you'll find numerous episodes covering topics on wellness, infertility, and parenthood. You'll also find on my site free video meditations to try, links to articles I've written, and interviews I've had on other podcasts talking about mindfulness, meditation, and my fertility journey. Thank you again for joining me today, and I look forward to sharing another episode with you next week. Thank you for listening to Responding to Life, a podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to receive a bi-monthly newsletter with an exclusive and free video meditation, along with wellness tips and deals, please go to www.respondingtolifepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter by entering your email address in the pop-up box. In there, you'll also learn my seven-step process on how to meditate like a pro so you can stress less and live more joyfully. If you enjoyed the show, I invite you to share it with your friends and leave a rating and review on whatever podcast outlet you use. I look forward to sharing another inspirational story with you real soon.